Welcome to Failing Forward. And can you start by introducing yourself, please? Yes, my name is Deyanira Nevarez Martinez. I am a six-year PhD student at the University of California, Irvine. Talk a little bit about the project that you're going to be presenting on today. My research deals with figuring out the role of the state in informal housing and precarious housing arrangements. So I do this by looking at the discretionary actions of street level bureaucrats. So what are the actions of frontline government workers in regards to individuals living on the street? And how do these discretionary actions shape the lives of the homeless and others living in precarious arrangements? Talk a little bit about the time frame that covers. This part of the project was supposed to be part of my dissertation. And so I am looking at a time frame from about 2018 going forward to 2020, but I didn't receive IRB approval until February of 2020. And so that kind of got in the way. <laughs> Talk about your affiliation with CARE. I applied for the UC CARE Innovation Fellowship. Part of the reason why I was really drawn to apply to this fellowship was that I use informality as one of my frames. And informality is a, a frame that comes from the developing world and so from the global south. I know that CARE has done a lot of work in the global south throughout their time in existence and so I thought, hey, what better organization to pitch my work to than to someone that will understand that you can bring these types of frames that were created in the global south into a global north context. That's something we've been working on, especially recently in the COVID context, is this idea of how do you take work that we've done all over the world and apply it in the United States? That's not something we've done in the past, but are really excited to be trying it out and, and great that we have a partner like you helping us with that. Thanks. Tell us a little bit about what's the failure you want to explore today? The big issue that happened was obviously the pandemic. And I couldn't have predicted that the pandemic was going to happen, but one of the biggest lessons for me is that all projects need contingency plans. <laughs> and in research circles, we've been calling them risk management plans, which I think is a really good way to think about it. Even those projects like this one that to me seemed ironclad, I had funding, I knew where I was going, I knew the people I needed to talk to. Even those projects need contingency plans. And it's hopefully something that I will be doing going forward with all my research projects. But I think that this really highlighted that for me. Tell us a little bit about how you moved past that. What did you learn and what did you do as a result? I think it's hard to say that like I moved past it <laughs> because it's <laughs> it's hard. I'll say that it, for me, it was really important to be able to grieve my project because it was something that I had been working on planning for the last four to five years because it is part of my dissertation. And so once I was able to do that and get a little bit of acceptance of, okay, this isn't going to be what I thought it was going to be. I was able then to come up with some alternatives. And so my project inevitably had to change. While my project was always mostly going to be concerned with the actions of street level bureaucrats, I was also hoping to speak with residents because that's the way of doing triangulation of information and also getting a complete picture. And as an ethnographer, I was also supposed to spend substantial time there observing these interactions myself, which became impossible. And so I had to do two things. First, I had to tap into my already existing network in the valley. 
to be able to set up telephonic interviews. This pretty much meant that I would only be talking with government workers because homeless individuals and folks that are in precarious housing arrangements are often hard to reach. And second, I had to do more document analysis that I originally planned. So this had to do with observations. So because I was not able to observe these interactions myself, I had to rely on other people's observations. And I did that through requesting public records, so citations that had been given out to folks that are in my population and being able to read those reports, and then also through doing newspaper analysis and looking into what had been reported about the, the issues that I'm interested in. If you could do it all over again, what would you do differently? Part of what I could have done better was to go to the site more often, even though I didn't have the IRB approval. Even though I didn't have the IRB approval, there, there could have been things I could have done. So going to public meetings, I could have done. Going to community events, I could have done from before. And so even though I couldn't collect data because the IRB was still processing, I could have built relationships that potentially could have helped me to reach some of those folks that are in more precarious housing arrangements because I would have known their neighbor or their cousin or, you know, people who I could have met in the field that could have created that connection for me. And so I think I would say that instead of waiting for that approval, I could have gone in the field a little bit earlier that, and that could have helped. Is there anything else that you would change if you could? I would change the pandemic <laughs> if I could, <laughs> especially in the area. Throughout the country, we see that COVID has wreaked havoc in low-income communities of color. And if you've been following California, the Imperial Valley has been probably one of the hardest hit areas in the whole state. At one point earlier in the summer, it had the worst infection rate in the world. And this happened because there, you know, it is rural, it is low-income, it is majority-minority. And also, there were a lot of of U.S. citizens that live on the Mexican side who were coming over across the border seeking medical help on the U.S. side of the border. And so that all kind of created a perfect storm that caused and is causing a lot of devastation in the region. And so if I could change anything, I would change that. And is there anything that you wish you had done in the way you set up the work to give yourself more of a contingency plan or to give yourself some more flexibility as things moved on? If I would have had in my mind, okay, I need to be thinking of contingency plans, I think I could have thought out several different scenarios of who are the people that I'm going to really need to be close to if I'm far away and I'm going to need somebody to be able to be my presence. I could have figured out who the key players were that I needed to be in really close contact with. I think that would have, if I had had a, a contingency plan, a more outlined one, I think that would have been the, what I would have done. So as you think about this experience, what's an action that you would recommend to other people based on what you've learned? Yeah, so I would actually recommend written out contingency plans. And so these risk management plans have become something that a lot of researchers are talking about. And, you know, putting specific titles to some of the things so like, okay, if I am not able to do interviews, what will I do? and have several options. If I'm not able, and I'm a qualitative researcher, I do ethnography, and so my methods are observation, interviews, breaking down everything that you're thinking you are going to do and have alternatives, specifically written down alternatives for all of them. 
one of the things that you mentioned was the idea of how your research is supposed to be bringing some of these frames and thinking from the global south and apply them to global north context. What do you think about the reverse? Is there anything specific about what you've learned now that you think is especially relevant to global south context or international development? And this is something that I, I do in my work in general. I think the U.S tends to think of themselves as unique <laughs> and in the Western world, like, oh, we are unique. And I think this has shown us that we're not really that unique. We're all in the same boat. And so I worry about using one size fits all solutions for things. And so I would say that maybe I'm not sure what this might mean for the global South, but I think that it can help us think about, okay, how did it happen here? And in the way that it happened here, are there similarities that maybe perhaps we could apply in, in contexts where there is high immigration, for example, because my area has high immigration, or in areas that are agricultural because the Imperial Valley has is an agricultural center in California, or places that are in extreme weather areas. So it is in the desert temperatures often reach 120 degrees in the summer. And so maybe thinking about it that way might be useful. Migration is something that has come up in almost all of the analysis CARE has done around COVID is just dramatic impact on migrants, whether they are voluntary migrants or internally displaced people or refugees. Is there anything specific in your findings that you're seeing related to that because it's so common in that area? Yes, part of why this area has been hit so hard is because of that back and forth of people. And unlike other places where you have migration and it happens once, on the U.S.-Mexico border, you have people who are migrating or going back and forth every single day. Just that movement has is what has created some of the biggest challenges currently for the area. And so I think that part of what I'm finding is that even though that particular issue of migration isn't something that came up as much in my precarious housing work, it is something that inevitably affects it, even if tangibly, because of what it's meant for folks that are in these situations. So one other big question, is there anything you think that's different about the context you're in that wouldn't apply more broadly? Things about either the way you were able to enact contingency plans or the kinds of data collection you were able to do that you think might be harder or not possible somewhere else? Well, I think that for me, this was possible because I know the area really well. Um, I grew up not far away from the Imperial uh, Valley in a small town in Arizona called San Luis, which is about 45 minutes away. And I also have family that lives there. I know um, people I grew up with that have moved there. And so those networks really helped me to be able to still navigate some of these things from afar. I think that for folks that may have a site where they don't have those types of connections, it would be really difficult to enact kind of the, the contingency plans that I put into action. Is there anything else, if you were gonna sum up sort of your key lessons learned here in one or two sentences, what would that be? Yeah, so I think the biggest lesson for me here is that at any time, our lives can kind of be turned upside down. And I know that's a cliche and we get told that all the time, but I think that what this showed us is that it could happen to us collectively. Usually when these people tell you this, it, they're talking about you individually. And so I think this lesson is important going forward, especially in the context of climate change, where we're all going to be experiencing 
things like this more often together. And so I think that it showed us that going forward, we need to work together and be flexible if we want to create impact. And so the reason our projects were able to move forward was because UC and CARE were flexible with us. And so if they had not been so flexible, we wouldn't have been able to complete our work. And even though my project is not what I envisioned it to be, I think I still found pretty interesting and important things that I hope CARE can help with. And I'm sure my colleagues did as well. Thank you so much for joining. I really appreciate it. No, thank you. This was fun. Thanks to the audience for tuning in. Join us next time when we talk about youth and particularly working with youth voters and youth activism in California and how that can apply to the work CARE is doing all over the world. Thanks for joining Failing Forward.